This is Brett Rentmeester, president of Windrock Wealth Management. Windrock is a unique wealth management firm with a focus on the macroeconomic <clears throat> big picture and an entrepreneurial mindset to seize on investment opportunities. Today, I'm pleased to be joined by John Malden, chairman of Malden Economics. John is a well-known newsletter writer and a recognized expert in economic and investment circles. John, it's a pleasure to have you with us today. Brett, it's really good to be with you. Thank you for inviting me. And uh, just so everybody know, we had lunch, what, uh, a few weeks ago. It was a very good time, very enjoyable. Yeah, well, thank you again. John, given the state of money printing in the world today, record debts and stagnant economies wherever you look around the world, it's easy to overlook the fact that there will be some amazing opportunities ahead driven by technological change. You're working on your new book right now, The Age of Transformation, to discuss these trends. Could you give us an overview? Well, we've actually got about 13 or 14, we're, we're debating, uh, technological changes and another half dozen sociological changes that are, are truly going to be transformational. And that doesn't even count. We're going to have a chapter on the you know, steady growth products like agriculture just continue it's not it's not exponential but agriculture is continuing to become better space exploration is going to change things it's not going to be exponential uh, but there's a lot of exponential changes I mean we're hitting the elbow of the curve where we're doubling every two years doubling every year uh, solar energy you know the speed of computers nanotechnology the number of patents that we're seeing in material science and, and it's the, the thrust of the book is to try to help people understand just how much change is going to be happening over the next 20 years and how fast it's all going to come at us. And it's going to do that in a time that's fairly revolutionary in terms of geopolitics, sociology, demographics, uh, how the, what the future of work looks like how privacy works, how our generations are going to be changing. I mean, it's going to be a pretty fasten-your-seatbelt type of world. And to think that past performance is going to be indicative of future results, to think that we're going to be able to invest like we did uh, over the last 20 or 30 years and that it will work is probably not a good idea. In, at least in my opinion. I think we're going to have to become more active. We're, not, uh, we're going to have to think more outside the box. Uh, and interestingly, for the first time in a long time, uh, let's say small to medium-sized investors are going to have a much better shot at the apple because somebody trying to invest a pension fund, $5 billion, they can't really move the needle with some, you know, pretty exotic private credit options, um, some of the smaller private equity deals that um, aren't haven't been bid down to where they're almost valueless. Uh, if you're trying to invest that kind of money, it's difficult. Um, whereas a smaller investor can really laser-like focus in on you know, opportunities. And continue to see, you know, the eight nine uh, percent compound return, which, frankly, is about the best that we could ask the world to give us. 
And John, when you look out into the future, given all of these trends and things that will reshape not only the world, but how we invest as investors, give us a little insight into maybe two or three of the themes that have you most excited. Well, I think the one that is going to be so fundamental to all of us is going to be the biotechnology revolution. Um, and, and we've just begun to probe the changes we're going to see in biotechnology. Up until a few years ago, we were still in the uh, hammer and nail approach to uh, medicine, whereas we would get a disease and we would try to stop the disease. We would hit it with whatever hammer we had. And rather than preventing the disease to begin with, rather than going in and giving you personalized medicine based on your own DNA, rather than um, finding out what your DNA is, finding what you're susceptible to, and saying, I'm going to prevent this before it ever becomes a problem. Uh, I'm really excited about some of the uh, changes, the future of pushing off the effects of aging. Uh, I was actually with a doctor this morning. I, I take, uh, I'm, I'm going to write about it today. I take testosterone pellets, and they, I get them every like five, six months. And it makes a big difference in how I feel, and I'd forgotten that I was due, and so I've really slowed down the last two or three weeks because these things are slow, steady release. They're not like shots or, you know, you don't, emotionally go up and down, but I was realizing, man, I feel like I'm getting slow and old, and I won't, and so in another four or five days, these, uh, it'll kick back in, but it makes a big difference in how I live my life, and how I feel about my life. There's a little number of other things that I take. Some of the uh, analogs to rapamycin is a drug that probably a small fraction of, of the listeners have heard about will be coming out in four or five years, and I'm hoping to be able to get some uh, some of the early test uh, uh, products of of that. But it really does push off some of the effects of aging, and more and more doctors, more and more researchers are beginning to realize that aging is a disease, and if you can postpone the effects of aging. You're going to postpone your heart problems, your blood pressure problems, all of these other things. Uh, and it's really not postponable up until the last few years. I mean, you're going to get old. Uh, now you may get old without getting aged. And I'm excited about that. That's going to change a lot of economics because if you feel that you can work longer, you will work longer, you'll be more productive, you won't be a drain on society. Now, it doesn't mean you have to work longer if you've got, you know, finally saved up enough money and you want to go do something else. I'm very, very excited about the future of telecommunications. I think we're going to add 3 billion people to uh, the Internet, and they're going to be able to um, go to school, go to college, all from the internet, all for free. And the cost of the internet and, and online communications and wireless communications is going to go down dramatically over the next 20 years. I mean, to almost essentially free. 
unless you want to pay it for the convenience of not being avoid, uh, annoyed by ads, um, that's going to change the number of people who contribute to this growing mass of, of small inventions. One of the things when we think, and, and, and it's part of our, of our zeitgeist here in America, we think of these larger-than-life figures who invent something. And that's not really the way most change happens. It's incremental. It's experimental. Um, two guys were racing with the telephone to the patent office and Bell won you know, on the same day. Um, six people invented the thermometer in, in different places uh, at different times, or at almost at the same time. Uh, Boyle's Law, which we have in England, and I forget what it's called in France, it's called something completely different in the French world because somebody in France discovered the same process at the same time, and so the French call it by the French name. I mean, these things don't really happen that much in a vacuum. And all of this incremental change, when you add three billion more people trying to change their world to do something to make their lives better, is going to make everybody's life better. Uh, and when you add three billion people to the internet, they're going to become aspirational. They're going to want more protein. They're going to want refrigeration. They're, going to, you know, all of these things, and that that creates huge new markets, great new opportunities. They have to figure out how to go to work and pay for them. Uh, they have to become entrepreneurial. Uh, the the challenge that we have. I was sitting with Senator Tom Coburn uh, yesterday. Uh, he was my favorite uh, budget hawk, and he term-limited himself. I wish he hadn't have, uh, left. But we were lamenting the, the budget deficit that's going to come up and the how in runaway entitlement spending is really going to bankrupt the country, uh, especially our, our younger people. And It brings up a point that I keep making, and I will make in the book that it's really a race in the world between how much wealth can humanity create, can businessmen and free markets create, versus how much wealth can governments destroy <laughs> and, and inhibit. And it's not clear to me <coughs> that uh, free markets and humanity wins everywhere. I mean, if you're in Greece, you certainly feel like you've lost. I mean, it's, a, it's not a good thing. I think France is in a deep, deep set of problems. So there's going to be places in the world where it's probably best not to be. Um, I hope one of those places isn't the United States. And it doesn't have to be. We can, we can do better. We can get our, our, our world together. John, I'm curious your thoughts on, on two technologies I know you write about and are thinking about, but we're starting to see in practice. That would be 3D printing and self-driving vehicles. Can you give us any thoughts on the state of those two technologies? We're up to 200 materials that can be used in a 3D printer, and in many cases, we can use multiple materials in the same product. So... Uh, and this is from you know almost a standing start 10 or 15 years ago. So this is a rapidly changing, rapidly growing world. My suspicion is that in 10 years, in the middle of the next decade, 
manufacturing of many items is going to be very local, which, by the way, is going to be, it's going to be an interesting thing. If you can print a plate or print whatever local thing you, you know, from raw material that you've purchased for basically nothing, and so now you haven't spent $5 at Walmart, is that, did we reduce GDP? If I, you know, in the same way, if if I put a solar pan, panel in my in my home in Texas in ten years, because solar energy now is the same as buying energy from the the uh, power company, and I can you know it pays itself off in three years. I'm no longer spending money on the power company. Um, I've all the, the panel and equipment I bought that one year adds to GDP, but now I'm not buying any more power, which is not adding to GDP. It, redu it, it actually reduces GDP, but my life is better or the same because in the future I'm not, you know, I'm going to amortize my costs and I don't have to pay for, for electricity anymore, so I'm better off, and my lifestyle hasn't changed. So we're going we're gonna to have to change how we measure GDP. We're going to have to change about what we think of as work. Further, you, your last question was, what do I think about the, the automation of uh, driving? And sadly, I think it'll probably happen in Europe before it happens here. Uh, we've got regulators with their heads up their, uh, you know, up the dark side. And Europe is far more progressive, going to be far more open. And when it does come, though, where it will change, where it will come the first, I believe, in the United States, is going to be in the trucking industry. That's where we'll, we'll feel it. Uh, you'll start seeing long-haul trucking uh, be automated, and that's going to be a major shift in the cost and supply lines, uh, supply chains. So, I, I think automated driving is on its way, probably be here in the United States within 10 years. It could be here within five, but I don't, I don't know that we'll have the regulatory authorities uh, agreeing on that. 